When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and him, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how was your Valentine's night? Ali and I were slightly worried that you might go through a whole three-course romantic cheese and Guinness meal. (laughs) Um, Well, I was busy uh, travelling up to Liverpool to work, so Ah. uh, it it was a solo journey, so yeah, I was... Uh, I'm, I'm not particularly in the Baroness's good books at present. Well, um, if if you just left the Baroness and Finley sitting around the romantic dinner table together, I'm not surprised, Kieran. <laughs> um, it's Newsday, uh, and we're going to be beginning and ending with Americans, Kieran. And the first story is that US businessman Chris Kirchner is reportedly interested in buying Preston North End. Is this a serious bid or a bit of tyre kicking? Um. At present, uh, I, I wouldn't read too much in it. For, for people not familiar with sort of some of the backstory, uh, the, the the Preston North End owner Trevor Hemmings, he, he sadly passed away uh, a few months ago. He was uh, a pretty generous benefactor. I, I believe that the club is now uh, being run by his son. But Trevor Hemmings was putting in. You know, around about six to seven million pounds a year every year. Yeah, you know, that's that's the price you pay for trying to have a club which yeah. is keeping its head above water in the in the championship. Um, Chris Kirchner came came from nowhere um, a few months ago and and announced via social media that he was an interested party with regards to Derby County. Um, he he engaged with fans on Twitter, which you know is, is a good way of uh, getting getting interest. And uh, he he appeared to say the right things. He he, he flew across. He met Wayne Rooney. Um, looking at his background in terms of wealth, he's got a logistics company, which you know it, it makes far more money than the likes of you or I, but. It, it didn't seem to be in the in the ballpark to to give him sixty million pounds to acquire the club, which is the the, the sum that the, the administrators were looking for. So yeah. that did seem uh, a bit strange. And then he withdrew from uh, his interest uh, in Derby County uh, again via social media, and he blamed the EFL and he blamed. Uh, 
he blamed Quantumar, the administrators, and uh, he uh, he implied that you know Mel Morris hadn't helped as well. And you know it's everybody's fault but mine. I could have done wonderful things for these clubs. And yeah, so there was a bit of suspicion with regards to him, and his name is now being linked with Preston and reading the reports. He believes that the club has potential. The club can uh, have a sustained uh, attempt at uh, getting into the playoffs and and tipping for promotion to the Premier League. Again, all of the things that fans like to hear. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, if, if he is going to go down that route, it's, the chances are it's going to cost a lot of money. Um, he's He seems as interested in golf and uh, NFL as he is in football. Nothing wrong with that at all, of course. Um, but uh, what, what we have seen historically is that you can get a disproportionate amount of publicity for yourself by taking some form of interest in in, in the football industry because, as, as we've said, it's it ultimately it's actually a very small industry with a very big... Um, media and social media uh, following. So wait and see. I, I, I don't think uh, he's he's a serious contender at this stage, but you can never say never. So are there people then, Kieran, that are cynical enough to try and big themselves up in their own country maybe by saying that I, you know, I'm a guy interested in buying these, these football clubs and that gives them a spurious glamour? Or, or am I being cynical by suggesting that? No, no. I mean, there, there, there's uh, there's quite a few people we've seen. Uh, Eric Alonso, who again sort of duped, I think, many people at Derby with his interest. Um, we will be talking a little bit later. In fact, one of our other stories about Indeed, a, yeah, yeah. A, a person. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to put the guy down, uh, but you know, he's, he, he goes into my delusional fantasist category <laughs> of uh, owners, past owners, prospective owners, um, and uh, not, uh, once I'm a member of the fan club, uh, yeah, pa- perhaps for the live show, we should uh, have a have a discussion. Perhaps we should put together our a five-a-side team of favourite wrong-uns in terms of football ownership. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and tickets still available, of course, 24th of, uh, 24th of March, uh, AFC Wimbledon, Plough Lane, uh, all goes to a good cause as well. Yeah, um, only a few tickets available, I might add. Um, we we perhaps will have a five-a-side team of wrong Kieran, but we need to persuade producer Guy, first of all, that we can do that safely within legal limits. <laughs> as it turns out, as I was told recently, you can't just say what you want on stage. I've been living with the <laughs> the, the fantasies. That's all right. I can say what I want about Prince Andrew. I'm just, just me and the microphone, this lawyer said. No, not quite as simple as that. <laughs> probably, probably best have a rethink or talk to a legal friend. Uh, yeah, Trevor Hemmings, of course, sadly missed in another sport as he was a huge supporter of uh, National Hunt Racing. Um, it, one of those club owners who, that fans don't really know what they're losing until they've lost him, in a way, because he just quietly gets on with looking after the club and, and you know, the opposite of Chris Kirchner doesn't seek publicity for doing so or didn't seek publicity for doing so. Yes, yeah. And uh, again, you always have to be a little bit cautious about drawing too many conclusions from uh, social media because often the you know, the empty vessels make the loudest noise and I am an empty vessel. I make a lot of noise myself. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fully aware of the, uh, the hypocrisy of what I'm saying. Um, but th- there was an element within the fan base who thought that 
uh, him putting in the equivalent of £100,000 a week into the club that they follow um, wasn't generous enough. And I'm yeah. going, well, you know, you know £100,000 a week is pretty pretty big commitment as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, Kieran, you are far from being an empty vessel. Um, you still make a lot of noise, but it's not because you're an empty <laughs> vessel. <laughs> um, this is a very strange story, I think, Kieran. Very odd news about the ownership of Sunderland. Yes, um, and and again, I appreciate that that Sunderland fans will say, well, you, you, we all know this anyway. But but for fans of, of other clubs who who perhaps have uh, come to know Sunderland uh, through the, through the excellent Sunderland Till I Die documentary, yeah. let's just go into the backstory. Originally, there was an owner called Ellis Short. Uh, he he tried to run Sunderland uh, from a from a business point of view it was an absolute nightmare even though the club was in the Premier League I think he 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 lost the thick end of 150 million pounds in Sunderland but he then sold it to um, th- effectively three parties Stuart Donald who was the owner of I think of Eastleigh and then Oxford who sold his uh, his interests a guy called Charlie Methven who is uh, what what we up north regard as all southerners in the sense that he, he was he came across as a very posh bloke who uh, who didn't seem to know much about football um and uh, a guy called uh, Juan Sotori who is a uh, an uruguayan uh, businessman stroke politician so they 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 were involved in uh Sunderland and and at the start they said all of the right things uh Stuart Donald was on the terraces with the fans uh Charlie Methven came out with the piss party stops here. Yeah. Um, sorry, the, sorry. The piss take party stops here. Ears <laughs> <laughs> were just pricking up in our listeners in Hamburg there for a second. Um, and, and in his, oh, uh, this is why in, we don't. And, and he was sort of, sort of classic, classic middle management style. You know, turns up with lots of uh, flowcharts and spreadsheets and so on. Um, well, you need flowcharts and, and spreadsheets for a piss party, Kieran. That's, that's... <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, in, in, in the very first in his very first meeting, he he uh, he, he revealed his red underpants when mm. leaning over, and, and sort of that that lost a lot of credibility. Yeah, okay. If you're from the northeast, you don't wear red red underpants. <laughs> so it was, it was all all very weird, and, and then that ownership started to unravel a bit because I think fans began to realise that how did the, these three three owners, how did they pay Ellis Short uh, to, to acquire Sunderland? And it looks as if the, the club was using the parachute payments from the Premier League as a means of, of paying for the club. And therefore, we didn't see much investment in the form of players. Sunderland went down into League One. Sunderland are the only club to have... Uh, received parachute payments for two years, I think, in the in the Premier League. Uh, sorry, sorry, in in League One, mm. and, and they and they clearly that they're still there at present. They they just lost a match six nil, which led to the, the manager going. Uh, people, you know, fans are uh, a bit unhappy. So, twelve months ago, after a, a lot of attempts to sell Sunderland, uh, Kirill Louis Drayford came in, and we were told at the time, or rather the. Sort of the story was a bit vague. He was a he's a twenty three year old billionaire uh, because his family's got inherited wealth from Monaco, and of course the fans think 
well, hey, you know, the, the good times, the good times yeah. are going to roll. Uh, we're going to invest in new players, get straight back up to the championship. Then, you know, then then uh, let's get back to the Premier League where, uh, you know, some of them fans feel that they they, they have, a, have a right to be there. And there's nothing wrong with, with those viewpoints. Um Things haven't worked out particularly well on the pitch as, as far as the the first twelve months, and um, you've you've got to give uh, a lot of credit to first of all some of the some of the Sunderland fans themselves who have started to do a bit of digging, and then uh, in, in the last forty eight hours or so, uh, Phil Buckingham at the Athletic he he managed to get an answer from the club because what we've seen is uh, you know evasion, vague answers. Uh, words which could be interpreted in a variety of ways. And it now turns out that uh, Kirill, Kirill Louis-Dreyfus uh, doesn't control the club because he only owns 41% of the shares. And Methven, Donald and Sartori, between them, owe, own 59% of the shares. So um, th- they had become toxic. Yeah, we, We've spoken about breakdowns of relationships yeah. and toxic <clears throat> owners. Stuart Donald is 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 great copy as far as the tabloids are concerned because you know he left his lap he's left his wife for a lap dancer um, he comes across as a bit like David Brent in the Sunderland Till I Die documentary um, yeah all all good you know all, all good fun stuff yeah. unless you're a Sunderland fan yeah um, and uh, you know the, the signing of Will Grigg is gone down in legend in, in terms of how, how they ended up paying a lot of money for a, you know, for a, a decent player, but well overpaid. So, um, so that's where we are at present. Um, I think the Sunderland fans feel let down because there's been a lack of transparency and clarity from, from the club. Um, they they don't want Donald and Methven at their club. Uh, to be fair to Stuart Donald, he doesn't attend matches. Uh, Charlie Methven has been seen at home matches, which I think uh, if, if you're winning, you know, football is a completely different game. But yeah, once you start yeah. losing games, people are looking for uh, people to get angry about. And uh, Charlie Methven is very is, is the type of person uh, if you're if you're from the northeast, it's very very easy to to get angry about because you know as, as about as you know, a bigger manifest manifestation of of the establishment as you could expect to be. If you're from the southeast, Kieran, you can get angry about people like Charlie Methon and indeed him. What 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 I don't understand about this, Kieran, is how yeah because the narrative I hate using that word, but it's, but it's the industry I live in. The narrative was such that when uh, the lad from Marseille bought the club, nobody was reporting that he's bought some of the club. It's like Sunderland are now uh, under new ownership, and the sunlit happy days are ahead. I, don't, I just don't get why this was kept secret. And also it seems to me that the club the club is stuck. This is the worst of both worlds. They can't really move on if you've got two such different types of people owning parts of the club. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, it's really frustrating. You know, the, the people will say, well, he now he's now the biggest single owner of shares in the club. Um, he... Does have he has appointed some directors, so this is indication that on on a day to day basis he's involved. Um, but it, my view would be if he's as rich as people claim him to be, why did he only buy forty one percent? Yeah, the whole yeah. point. Yeah, you know, so, you know, whenever I'm advising any people in terms of uh, you know, M and A mergers and acquisition work, 
I'd always say you, you've got to have more than 50% because that gives you control. And you know, why why buy two fifths of a cake because you can't you can't control if 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 the other, if the other parties if, if they gang up you know as they they could act as a cartel uh, because they've got a majority interest um, and there's no evidence that they have done so that there's no evidence that uh, Stuart Donald's uh, you know involved in decision making but if that is the case why didn't he just go and sell his shares at the time because if if Dreyfus is as wealthy as people think he is it, it should not have precluded a sale the uh, Sunderland was probably going for around about 30 million pounds as a whole club and yeah that that's a, that's a good night out for a, a, yeah, a Monaco based uh, yeah. billionaire and meantime Sunderland fans have got the, the double whammy of having to look along the coast and see Newcastle enjoying the newfound mega riches and um, you know people often forget that Sunderland are a team with a, as big if not bigger a tradition in football as, as Newcastle. So it, these are really galling times for them. And as you predicted a couple of weeks ago, Kieran, the the aftershock of the European Super League is still is still going on. And the, the Times reported this morning that the the big six of, of English football, or the silly six or the greedy six, whatever way you want to refer to them, have refused to sign a Premier League charter. And it's all to do with... Uh, the future of Europe, isn't it, Kieran? Yes, um, we we did see in the immediate aftermath of uh, the Super League creation and collapse. Although it has to be said, Manchester United, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City, Arsenal, Spurs are still, as far as we are aware, are still shareholders in the Super League company. Now there yeah. could be legitimate reasons why they can't forego those shareholdings, and uh, it's it, yeah that that's one which is dragging through lawyers' negotiations at present. Um, but in the immediate aftermath, there was very much a, yes, we've made a mistake. We hold up our hands. Uh, we've we, we should have thought a little bit harder about this, and we're we're going to learn the lesson. Um, and fans, I wouldn't say, we, yeah, I don't think fans necessarily believe them, but I think the attitude of most fans would have been, well, let's give them a chance to, to prove themselves. And what we've seen since then is, is very much crumbs from the table. Mm. Um, you know, there, there's talk about having uh, some fan representation, uh, having uh, more meetings between fan groups and, you know, a board member. Um and uh, certainly, some of the things within the uh, within Tracy Crouch's fan-led review, uh, the clubs were, were probably willing to concede on. Yeah, things such as yeah, changing the colour of the shirt or changing the name, yep. uh, the badge, because because those those are actually pretty easy concessions anyway. So you know, it, it doesn't doesn't really involve. Um, but uh, one of the things that I think many fans were uncomfortable about with regards to the Super League was the notion that it that it was a closed shop. Uh, it, you you were in the Super League uh, on the back of an invitation, and we had the idea of permanent members of the Super League. Um, and you know, we, we've almost got that in the Champions League at present, but six into four doesn't go, as yeah, we know. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, if if Newcastle's owners do uh, invest significant sums the the six could become a seven so you know and and seven into four goes it makes it more complex still so 
what the uh, upper echelons of the Premier League have wanted is some form of guaranteed participation or close to guaranteed participation in in the Champions League itself. And we were talking only recently about the the, the uh, UEFA have said we've now got substantially more money yeah. uh, from twenty five. So so the rewards for getting there are even much higher. So it now appears that there was an owner's charter being proposed at the Premier League. And the owner's charter, uh, one of the commitments was, we will only seek to participate uh, in uh, European competition on the basis of sporting merit, i.e. this this crazy notion that if you win football matches, you get a reward. You You qualify for the European football. And this doesn't sit easily with some club owners because they will point out, and, and you, know, you, you can see it from their point of view, is if we don't qualify for Europe, um, the, the Champions League is going to be worth £150 million if you get to the final. Um, even, even if you get to the group stages uh, under the new Swiss model, it's probably worth somewhere in the region of 40 to 50 million. So that, that's an awful lot of money to, to have to fork out. Yeah, what, what would happen, for example, if West Ham have a good season and they, they get in the top four? That, that's absolutely outrageous. You know, the, 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 the Glazers, uh, John Henry at Liverpool, they seem to think that uh, being part of the Champions League is theirs by right because they've got lots of people who like them on Instagram um, and they're, they're opposed to sporting merit. Uh, so, so there has been a pushback in respect of this owner's charter and the, 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 the sneaky six have said, no, no we're not signing it. So um, I, I think that's, that's pretty reprehensible. Uh, I, I think it's uh, indicative that um the, the 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 desires and aims of people at the top of football in terms of their ownership is is not in alignment with what we have as fans and and even when you talk to to fans of you know I, I was at Old Trafford on Tuesday night I was talking to some United fans they said well you know, we've we've been pretty mediocre this season uh, we're, we're now scrambling for fourth place but if we don't get it well it's our own fault mm-hmm. you know, we, we've got more money than anybody else. So it, it comes down. So, so th- I don't think there's th- you, d- you don't see from fans saying oh, we should sneak in on the basis of a UEFA ten year coefficient on on what we've done in previous years, and, and this is what the owners are trying to do. They are trying to de risk their clubs, and there's already a huge gap between the top six and the bottom six. And if you do a if you do an analysis, and, and this this is this is spreadsheet fun for, for, for those of you that like this type of thing, if you actually analyze the number of points uh, on average of clubs in the top six and the number of clubs on average for clubs in the bottom six of the Premier League, that gap has grown and grown and grown over the course of the last decade because the Premier League is becoming less competitive. What they are what they are wanting to do is to effectively to 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 put up a glass ceiling to make sure that that lack mm. of competitiveness is is embedded forever. So the the top six are essentially banking on the fact that uh, as UEFA are dropping heavy hints that in seasons to come, if West Ham, Leicester. Brighton, God forbid, were to sneak into the top four, UEFA would say, I'm really, really sorry, that's not getting you a Champions League place because 
Liverpool, Manchester United have got way more points than you on the totting up basis because they've qualified before. Essentially, that's what they're banking on. But what there's, a, there's another thing I don't quite understand, Kieran, is just presumably this went to one of the legendary votes in the Premier League and you need uh, a straight majority of 14, which implies, or in, doesn't imply, it indicates that an, an, a club outside that traditional top six voted for it, which you would imagine would be Newcastle, wouldn't you? Um, possibly, possibly not. I, I think in terms of this charter, this is this is independent of an executive uh, officers meeting. Ah, so okay. th- this right. this is this is what we want to do going forwards, and that there is pushback. And, and and in terms of the European places, I think the top four will always get in. But what UEFA have said is because the Champions League is increasing from thirty two to thirty six clubs. How are those extra four positions going to be allocated? Got, I agree. And and that could be on the basis of your ten year record in in Europe. So let's say if, if West Ham finished fifth and Manchester United finished sixth, Manchester United would then take that place, even though West Ham had finished in a higher position. And that stinks. Yeah, you know, it's, it's it goes completely against everything we've we've ever done in in respect of the history of football. If if yeah, if if they want to make the Champions League a bit more exciting in terms of participation, then you know perhaps of the top three qualify automatically, and then of playoffs between positions yes. four, five, six, and seven, and that would keep the interest going. I think for the, for the whole competition. But but funnily enough, the the big clubs don't seem too keen on that. I know the big clubs certainly not keen on my idea of improving the Champions League, which is by uh, getting rid of it and replacing it with this system whereby the champions of each country go into a kind of draw against each other in a sort of knockout fashion. Uh, I don't know if that would ever catch on, but I, I suspect... That, that, that sounds too socialist to me, Kevin. You're, you're, yeah, you're, I know. Imagine, imagine that. Imagine that you just have to go through a cup competition. Um, this next chap, th- this fictional five-a-side team of wrongins that the live show has may or may not include this next chap, Kieran. I don't want to spoil the fun for the people coming to the show or indeed find myself in court because um, you talked about uh, people earning more money than us at the moment. Just this couple of weeks, Finley is probably earning more money than me <laughs> just for a couple of weeks. So I don't, I don't, I don't take the risk, but Lawrence Bassini is the ex-owner of Watford. Uh, he's a sort of chap who, Kieran, you, you would probably agree with me, would describe himself as a character, I imagine. Uh, just for a bit of context, the admirable Football 365 describes Lawrence as a decade-long soap opera, taking in two bankruptcies, a name change, several court cases, and repeated attempts to buy clubs without providing proof he had the funds to do so. Um, so that's the sort of character we're dealing with. But now one of his companies claims that Charlton Athletic owes it £1.7 million. Pounds. Yes, Um Yes. Uh, so Lawrence Bassini was the owner of Watford. He did end up with a three-year ban from football um, on, on the basis of uh, some of some of the revelations with regard to his ownership. Uh, I, I know some people that uh, ended up working for him. Um, I, I think it's fair to say they didn't respond positively to his uh his uh, accuracy uh, in, in terms of some of the things that he'd said and <laughs> promised. Um, but, you know, that, I, 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 he, he may or may not be the delusional fantasist that I was referring to earlier, of course. Um, hang on, but, hang on, hang on, sorry, Kim, I'm just looking through the rest of the questions. Yeah, no, that's him, it is, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's just so you know. <laughs> uh, But Lawrence Bassini, uh, he has some form of connection to Matt Southall, who for a brief period of time was the owner of Charlton. Uh, and here, uh, in terms of Bassini's latest efforts, we've got to give a huge amount of credit to the Charlton dossier. If, if you get a bit of spare time, just go and read the Charlton dossier in respect of what has happened yeah. uh, at that club in terms of recent ownership. Now, it looks as if uh, Lawrence Bassini has a company called Bloom Properties. Lawrence Bassini presently is is a director of around about 12 companies. Um, Bloom Properties appears to be itself subject to a winding up order, which he didn't seem to mention at the time. Um, and uh, he is claiming that he is owed a £1.7 million pounds uh, introduction fee for uh, getting Matt Southall involved at Charlton, which uh, you know, we, you know we, we've we, we've all sort of introduced mates to blind dates, you know, on or, you know, on not things like money. that. Not for money, Kieran. <laughs> not for exactly. Not, pr- not, and so if somebody wants to offer me one point seven million pounds to uh, uh, you know meet meet some of my mates, especially from. The cricket club, um, you know, uh, or, or, the prowler. Sadly, the, well, the, the prowler, the prowler's spoken for. Uh, size five is spoken for, <laughs> and he's known as Size Five because he's the only man I know whose head is perfectly spherical. So it actually, it actually resembles a football. And so from the age of sixteen, to be known as Size Five, he's more, he's more like Frank Sidebottom than Frank Sidebottom. Oh my lord, um, that's very funny. So. Um, so, that, so that's where we are. Um, how serious can we take this in respect of Lawrence Bassini? I, I think the club appear to be relaxed, but it, it has been in uh, in some of the newspapers. Um, uh, he's he, he's a person that if he ever does get near a football club, I, I would I would really be concerned. And unfortunately, you know, because so many clubs are in desperate straits, he was he turned up at Bolton Wanderers on one occasion. Uh, he 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 was involved. He was claiming he was going to take over Charlton, and and you know to, to do this with with what appears to be um, a lack of millions is is quite an achievement. Mm. Um, but uh, he, he, as you say, I think uh, Football Three Six Five. He 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 is a soap opera, and, and provided he's he's just treated as a soap opera, then then that's fine. What what you don't want is is people like him getting getting in control of clubs. Can, can I just check this notion of the introduction fee in football and in business, Kieran? Because in 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 my industry, you, you will quite often say, I'll, "I'll put you in touch with an agent, or I'll put you in touch with a producer, or the owner of a comedy club," and you wouldn't expect anything other than a, a pint for doing so. But is, so in business, is this a common practice that you will ask for £1.7 million just to get you in the door? Um, well, you, you might ask for it. I'm, I'm not sure you necessarily get it. But, yeah, certainly the, the, the concept of headhunters and, uh, yeah, that, that's what headhunters do. They're, they are introducing the two parties together and, and they will get a commission. Um, and, and sometimes you will you will delegate uh, a form of you know, a, a group of headhunters to do something. There's no evidence that that Lawrence Bassini has any of those skills, though. Hi, I'm Steve Lamarck, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. 
In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. You know that Champions League final we were talking about earlier that Brighton and Palace will never get in? Yes. Uh, well, if we were, we'd be we'd be laughing because UEFA are planning to give away 10,000 Champions League final tickets for free to fans of the two clubs that get there. Yeah, and and on the face of it, this this sounds fantastic. It's, and it's it's uh, ten thousand to the Champions League, it's eight thousand to the Europa League, six thousand to the uh, UEFA Conference League, and six thousand free tickets for the Women's Champions League as well. As well. So a grand total of thirty thousand free tickets. Um, I, I think it's and, and that's great. I think there's a few bits of confusion yeah first of all how how are these tickets going to be allocated are they going to be allocated by uefa or it would seem more sensible for the clubs to allocate them if the clubs are going to allocate them then upon what criteria yeah um and then if people do get hold of those tickets i'm I'm not being rude is is everybody going to attend the match or are they going to end up on you know via gogo or being sold to hospitality packages so it for my view, it would make more sense to have, rather than have 10,000 free tickets, why not reduce the, the price of the cheapest tickets to something which is genuinely affordable for all and, and spread that discount, which which effect it is. You know, but, you know, but, yeah, for, the, for the posh seats, yeah, you can keep them at the high prices, uh, but for the, you know, for the seats behind the back, behind the goals and, and as many as possible, um, there, there is a huge issue in terms of... Uh, of pricing uh, for, for these competitions, uh, it, it, it's it's it sounds great, but it it also just seems a bit odd. Well, also there's a there's an element of divisiveness here as well, Kieran, because almost guaranteed the clubs that are in the Champions League final are going to be big clubs. The chances are ninety percent of the time you're looking at huge, massive clubs with very very big fan bases. And I think if you're a person who's you know, you've been to every home and away game, Chelsea, for example, and you've you've racked up all the all the points necessary. And if somehow you don't get a ticket, and yet somebody who's possibly never been to a game before gets a free one, it just seems odd. As you say, it's the, the concept. It sounds generous, but the concept sounds odd. And also, from what you know about UEFA, you can't help thinking that most of these free tickets will probably be in some sort of corporate area anyway or you've got to win a competition or go into a draw so it's a it's a strange one we'll do we'll do a bit more digging to see if we can find out more about the criteria because it's a an interesting story but to all those people who say we only talk about bad news kieran uh here's some good news for coventry fans hopefully uh long-running dispute over the sale of coventry city stadium has come to an end um yes whilst it has come to an end it's not necessarily the end that the club owners had ah, hoped for. So, okay. um, you, you and I know Coventry. Yeah, you know, we, we 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 both went to Highfield Road. Best, uh, best away games. Coventry and Ipswich, best away games in the country. Yeah, yeah, and I I, 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 I remember the last time I went to Coventry, it was when they just moved to the All Seater Stadium. As yeah, well. so that was that, and that was you know early eighties. That that was ve- that felt very strange at the uh-huh. time. 
Um, uh, but you know, Coventry then moved, uh, and I'll, I'm, I'm still going to call it the Rico. I yeah. know it's officially the Coventry Building Society Bowl or something, but uh, it, it's the Rico to all football fans. And, and this was something again we've spoken recently. It, when it comes to naming rights, it's a case of being first or not at all, as far as the, the majority of the country is concerned. Now. There was a dispute with regards to ownership. Uh, it, it, it is now effectively controlled by Wasp Rugby Club and Coventry City are the tenants. But the owners of Coventry City, uh, who are a, a strange hedge fund based in the middle of you know, British Virgin Islands or Cayman Islands or somewhere, called Sisu, um, they've had an ongoing lawsuit in respect of the council. They said that the, the stadium was sold at too low a price um, and the, the the council wasn't acting in the best interest of Coventry City and so on, um, and they've been appealing and appealing and appealing, and it now looks like the, the the highest level of court has said, well, we're not willing to take this any further, and if you want to appeal, you're going to have to go to appeal to, a, you know, it's going to cost you an absolute fortune. So it looks as if CSU have now perhaps taken legal advice and said, we are no longer going to pursue trying to get back either ownership or financial compensation in respect of uh, the, the the Coventry Building Society, whatever it is. Um, so instead, they are now focusing their attention on uh, some land which is owned by the University of Warwick with a view to building a, a brand new stadium there. Um, is is the, the city of Coventry large enough to... Uh, warrant two large stadiums, but well, you, you could perhaps say the same about uh, Nottingham, for example. Yeah, you know, it's okay. Yeah, Coventry's a decent, but it, it it does seem a bit strange of a thing to do. Um, what's the capacity going to be? We don't know. Um, what's the cost going to be? Because labour costs and material costs in the construction industry have gone through the roof, um, and it's it's a greenfield site. Uh, so therefore, there's likely to be significant objections, and you know, certainly from from the experiences we've had at Brighton, in you know all, all of the loops that you had to go through to to get to to where we are and actually having a stadium, that can be uh, that can be quite a a long, time consuming, expensive process as well. So it looks as if going forwards they are going to to try to find somewhere of their own, but don't expect. The, you know, don't don't expect the, the the first shovels in the ground for a year or two at least. Yeah, I I know it, it's Ali's neck of the woods, so I know the site they're talking about. It's rather not just green but leafy, uh, and the good people of that part of Warwickshire will put up a fight. I imagine there will be travel issues as well. It's not that well served public transport wise, so uh, it would be nice to see Coventry back in our own ground. It still seems strange that Wasps are playing up there anyway. Now, um, this next news story. Kieran, I, I was I told producer guy I'm happy to include it, even though it's uh, up there along with the surprising news that turkeys are not that fond of Christmas and that bears' toilet habits tend to be al fresco. <laughs> um, according to producer guy, 75% of players don't want a World Cup every two years. Yes, uh, this is uh, research undertaken by FIFPro, which is the the global players' trade union. Um, and they've uh, they've sent out questionnaires to their members to say, you know, in the light of uh, Gianni Infantino's enthusiasm for a World Cup uh, every two years, um, what are their views? And as you say, overall, three quarters of players are, are opposed to it. Um, they they are concerned about. 
burnout. They uh, uh, and, and it does very much, very uh, significantly continent per continent. So, for example, in Europe, uh, it's far higher than seventy five percent. I think in Africa, I think it was only four, it was forty nine percent were against it. Fifty one percent were in favour of a two year World Cup. Um, so it, it's trying. It's, it's difficult to work out who would be the beneficiaries. Um, of a World Cup taking place every two years. If the players are against it, there doesn't appear to be a lot of enthusiasm from from legacy fans. But again, you know, I, I was I put the story out on social media, and the response of some people was, "Well, it, it will give us a chance to it will double the chances of England winning the World Cup in in my lifetime." I'm thinking, well, England have won the World Cup in my <laughs> lifetime, but, but that's probably me showing my age. Um, but uh, it, yeah, what what's going to happen to uh, the uh, Euro- European Championships, which they take place every two years? We've got Afcon, we've got the South American Championships. How how is it all going to be uh, squeezed in? That that's that's not certain. Um, and, and of course, you know, if it, if it does take place every two years, that is going to uh, substantially reduce the uh, uh, the amount of drowning taking place in the Mediterranean <laughs> Sea. Uh, according to uh, Mr. Infantino himself, so so you know perhaps perhaps we're being too harsh in our somewhat uh, eyebrows raised uh, curiousness as to to the proposal. Yeah, I'm still not entirely sure of his warped logic about about that story, but I'm too tired to go through it again. So new, yes. new listeners need to check that. The other thing as well that people uh, or fans of the idea of a World Cup every two years, and, and yeah, let's face it, we all love a World Cup. Uh, you know, despite my opposition to where this year's World Cup's going ahead, I'm actually starting to get excited about the fact there is a World Cup coming up, and it's a novelty factor of a Winter World Cup. But it's it's not just the actual World Cup itself, Kieran. It's qualifying games. It, it means that probably you can't imagine that there will be a week without a, some sort of qualifying game going on for either the Euros or, or you know other regional world tournaments. Or the World Cup, and of course that comes with extra expense for the, especially the smaller nations, the Liechtenstein's and the Andorras, who still want to take part in these competitions. They're trudging, will be trudging constantly around Europe playing games. It, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, well, yeah. this is where Arsene Wenger's plan comes in. He has proposed that um, instead of having three or four international breaks in the season. Uh, each year in October stroke November, there is a four-week break from domestic football and all of the qualifiers take place during that, that concentrated period of time. And th- that could have some merit and, and it could actually be very good for clubs in the lower leagues who, who don't have players going out on internationals. So therefore, you know, fans of, of the bigger clubs might say, yeah, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll go and watch my local non-league team, my local, my local League One, League Two team. So, so it, it, it could have some potential merit, but it also means that, you know, if, if your star forward is injured during that month and, yeah. and you are one of the smaller nations, you know, let's, let's say that you're, you're the likes of, of Wales and so on, Gareth Bale is injured for, for that month. You, you practically lose out all of your your chances of qualifying, um, and, and you know, and, and I'm not saying that Wales uh, don't have any other decent players because they do, but you know, he he has been a fantastic talisman for the nation. Um, so, so I, th- I think there are some potentially sol- solutions, but even so, you know, we've you know, we, we've we've got competitions taking place every year. Uh, you know, this this summer we've got the. Uh, 
as well, as well as the FIFA World Cup, Men's World Cup taking place in the winter, we've got the, the European Championships taking place uh, in England uh, for the women's game. Now, if, if we're going to have a Men's World Cup every two years, the women's game, which has been squeezed, historically is going to be squeezed even further and, yeah. and i think that's that's something which has either not been taken into consideration or has been taken into consideration uh, uh, at a token level by by the upper echelons of fifa and then they've said yeah, it doesn't matter just think just think of the money we'd earn from world cup finals every two years and and, and, it, and it is being driven by money and they 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 can try to dress up the story in whatever the way they wish. Uh, the TV rights from World Cup finals are very very lucrative, and um, and as we've established, the the countries hosting the World Cup they're they're the patsies in all this because yeah. they think they're going to make a lot of money from it. I can assure you, uh, South Africa twenty fourteen, Brazil twenty sorry, sorry South Africa twenty ten, Brazil twenty fourteen, uh, Russia twenty eighteen, and Qatar twenty twenty two will all make huge financial losses for those host countries. They can dress it up as whatever they want, but, but the, the real financial numbers tell a different story. Yeah, to all our uh, our Welsh listeners and Welsh friends, especially Cardiff John, I'd like to take this opportunity to distance myself from Kieran's implication that Wales are a small country. Uh, I'll just leave a pause there. <laughs> I, I, Cardiff John, if you're listening, he said that, mate. I didn't say it. Um, but while we're in Wales, uh, unfortunately, when I say we're not all about bad news, this is a bad news story. Bangor City face expulsion from Cymru North League if their outstanding fines aren't paid. Yes, this is a uh, this this is a bit disturbing story. Uh, Bangor City have have been pretty successful in terms of Welsh football up, yeah. up until up until fairly recent times. Um, they 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 were suspended a few years ago. Um, they they were relegated on, on the back of being refused a licence by the Welsh FA. They then had a 42-point penalty, uh, which was eventually hard, which stopped them going into the third tier. So they've been, they've been bumbling around. But things in, in the last few months have, have really deteriorated. I think there's £53,000 of unpaid wages. And, and, you know, and we are talking uh, you know, lower tier football here. Yeah. So, so that's... Yeah, that's that's substantial amounts owed to both management and players. Um, the the club was relatively recently acquired by uh, Domenico Serafino, um, who I, I believe is Italian, and um, I, I don't think I don't I don't recognise you know he's, he's, he, that doesn't sound like he's from the valleys to me. Um, oh, that's no, quite it's quite a decent sized. You know, if you go to the the, the holiday outlets, you'll there's quite a few Italians in in that part of the world, Welsh Italians, okay, serving up lovely ice cream in beautiful thirty style uh, restaurants. Oh, cool! I have to give it a try if if Cardiff John lets me into Wales again. Well, um, I was thinking more Clandidno, which is where Ali was uh, raised. As a, having said that Warwickshire is her part of the world, her dad was a vicar, so they moved it around a lot. So as a small child, she was brought up in Clandidno, where, where apparently the ice cream is better than anywhere else in the world. Ooh. And you know what Ali's like. I, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 there are certain hills I'm not going to die on, and the best ice cream in the world is one of them, <laughs> essentially. I, I, used to, I used to run a uh, double glazing company in Wrexham. <laughs> Did you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we got off on a tangent again, haven't we? Yes, we have. Oh, well, we'll, we'll save that one for the live show, Kira. <laughs> yes. 
Um, so, so uh, Mr. Serafino, um, again, a bit of digging reveals that he used to own an Italian football club, and that went bust. So, yeah. you know, it, it's it's not it's not great. Um, and I think the I think the deadline for paying the unpaid fines. Um, we are recording this on the sixteenth of February. Um, we are talking days uh, away right. from from where the deadline is. So, uh, this will be a tragedy if it takes place because again. Community, identity, history, heritage, uh, Bangor deserves a football club. I think fans have set up some form of Phoenix club as, right. because I think the fans are genuinely concerned as well. But, uh, yeah, it, it's not something which is good news. And these outstanding fines are in respect of outstanding wages then? Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and I believe there's some county court judgments as well for unpaid creditors. And, of course, what you forget is that these, these players, you know, the anxiety of waiting for money that you possibly will never get while bills need to be paid and food needs to be put on the table. It's just wrong. Anyway, our penultimate story, Kieran, is about uh, a place where you were this week. Uh, Manchester United have signed a sponsorship deal with Tezos, who are, as the club described, one of the most advanced and sustainable blockchains. Mm. Yes. (laughs) All right, we'll move on then. (laughs) Yes, uh, I, I I was at uh, uh, Old Trafford on uh, Tuesday night, unlike the trams in Manchester, <laughs> which which decided after after two hundred two hundred meters of me being on a tram that the whole system was going to break down because uh, it, I think think somebody had cut the cable uh, somewhere somewhere on the on the network, uh, you know, and it's uh, you know, I, I, we don't know the full story, so it, it was only I was only going from blokes on the tram who were getting stories from their mates uh but uh, they seemed to think that somebody had uh, either cut the cable or some mancunian scallies had nicked some of the cable um mm. because it's clearly worth quite a bit of money um so uh, yeah manchester united have been uh, their 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 training kit sponsor is for a from historically from a company called aon yeah. uh, this has been replaced by tezos we're talking somewhere in the region of 20 to 25 million pounds now you know i'm, I'm like you i'm i'm a bit uh, uncertain about the, what, what blockchain does uh, i think it, it sort of works on the basis of if i want to transfer some cryptocurrency from my account to your account how can you how can we prove that that's taken place well blockchain is a fact that uh, lots of people on other computers will will confirm the the, the elements of the transaction so uh, tezos also appears to be involved uh, or is, is is certainly at least tenuously linked to the world of uh, nfts which is which is an area which we have t- discussed, and also fan tokens, which is where uh, I, I think a lot of football clubs see um, as being the the next vehicle through which they can uh, horrible word monetize or uh, lift money out of the pockets of uh, football fans. Yeah, two things, Kieran. Off the back of that, we we had that very interesting interview with Peter McCormack, the owner of Bedford, who's a, a Bitcoin. Uh, apostle guru whatever you want to say and, and while the interview went down very well we did have quite a few people expressing their disappointment that we didn't discuss the environmental impact of such things and to be perfectly honest is at the time i didn't realize there was one uh but of course there is and that's something we will be looking at um but also it was interesting palace crystal palace my club launched their own fan token scheme 
uh, at the beginning of this week to great fanfare, and Palace fans have almost completely ignored it. There was a report that it's it's been the lowest uptake of any Premier League club that's uh, introduced these tokens. Um, there's been no response from the club as to their how they feel about this. But I I just wondered what your your thoughts were on that, Kieran, because the the club really did push this for for four weeks before they launched it. I know from experience and WhatsApp groups and talking to people in pubs that there was some still some confusion about what I, what it actually is, and of course there are still those fans who will buy anything that's red and blue or got an eagle on it, uh, and I'm sure they have taken up. But I I thought it was very interesting that the response. I think around about thirty, I think about thirty one percent of Palace fans of well, again you could say that's thirty one percent of quite a few people, but I don't think the club could be that. Uh, happy about the outcome, or they may think it will take some time for it for it to become the sort of common currency that fans understand all about. Yeah, well, well my my first comment is to say fair play to Palace fans yeah. because I think I think there is uh, legitimate scepticism as to to what clubs are trying to do. Now, you you and I are probably both old enough to remember the old club lottery tickets. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I used to, you know, when Brighton were in the lower divisions, we were skin. I'd, I'd pay my £2 for my my weekly Brighton over Albion lottery ticket. And I think on, you know, on one occasion I, I got a signed photograph or a signed programme. And, and you didn't mind doing that because it was, as you say, if it's in red and blue or blue and white, but it doesn't matter what the colours are, you, it's your way of helping the club. Yeah. You know things aren't great financially. Um, and uh, you that money is handed across in good grace. You know it's effectively it's a it's a lottery draw. You don't expect to win anything from it. Um, what we are seeing with the fan tokens is first of all there is the overuse of this word engagement. Yeah. Um, and once you start to ask questions of football clubs, is what exactly do you mean by engagement because yeah when i go to waitrose to get my quinoa i don't i don't think i only wish i could spend a few more hours a week engaging <laughs> with waitrose in an alternative manner which gives them money and gives me the opportunity to get a you know, a, a signed menu card yeah. by some you know for, for for some you know guinness and cheese soup for example <laughs> you know whatever it's going to be um so I think clubs have realised that they they do have fans who who can't get to matches, and what they want to do is is to lighten the wallets of those fans as well as the fans who do attend the matches. And th- this is the vehicle that they're trying to use. It's 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 fan tokens. And again, if it's done as this is a, this is a form of a lottery, uh, you uh, you you'll be given these tokens, and you can. Uh, you, you can spend, you, you can buy, you, you can buy the tokens. But in order to buy the tokens, quite often you have to buy them using a fan coin, which is a form of, you know, some form of cryptocurrency. Uh, but you can, you can buy these tokens, um, and then you can spend them on the the lottery tickets or whatever. And if, and if, as long as it's sold in that way, I really don't have an issue with them. But as soon as you go on to social media, as soon as you start to look at uh, what some of the big players in this industry are trying to do, is that they are either explicitly or via a dog whistle approach trying to market and manifest these products as a form of investment. Now, this is where I get really concerned. Yeah. Um, 
I would not ever advise anybody to invest in something that they don't understand. And I would also never encourage anybody to invest in something which is unregulated, speculative, highly volatile, and easily open to manipulation. And this this is where my my sense of discomfort comes. So yeah, I, I thought Peter McCormick was was a very engaging uh, interviewee, and also it was interesting to hear him say that he is he is involved with Bitcoin. He doesn't have any involvement with any of the other yeah, cryptocurrency yeah, yeah, yeah. currencies and so on. Um, and you know, Bitcoin has the advantage of effectively being first and being biggest. Um, and, and that gives it, through weight of numbers, uh, slightly more credibility than uh, some of the other products. Remember, o- over a thousand cryptocurrencies have come and disappeared. Yeah. Uh, so, so they they can be used for nefarious purposes um, as a means of transferring money. Again, I'm, you know, I, I think they're absolutely fine. So, uh, I, I think Crystal Palace fans are, are right to be cautious and skeptical. Um, and I think it's uh, it, it's incumbent upon the clubs and, and the likes of Socios, who are the the big players, and, the, and I think we we will see the Premier League try to introduce this as a uh, as some form of revenue generation. Uh, UEFA have just announced a partnership with Socios, um, without getting into too much details. Uh, that, that they were in contact with me, inviting me along in hospitality to a match because they feel that I don't understand what they're trying to do, um, and that I think they wanted to educate me. Oh, do they know you don't drink? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, that, that live gig we're doing on the 24th of March uh, is, I'm afraid, Kieran, uh, now 100% guaranteed to start with you saying fair play to Palace fans. Uh, and then with a, with a bit of judicious editing, when you just said Crystal Palace fans are right to be cautious, that's just going to be you saying Crystal Palace fans are right. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a, you've got to be very careful, Kieran. I told you. Now, our last story, as I, as I predicted right at the start, because I know the script uh, is also <laughs> is also American based. And there's a there's a there's a two word phrase in this story, Kieran. I'm really looking forward to saying. <laughs> New York City, who were part of the City Football Group, which of course owns Manchester City. What a result they had in Europe, by the way. Yes. Uh, but New York City has secured a multi-year tie-up with Chicago-based men's grooming brand, Dude Wipes. Yeah, <laughs> Dude Wipes, man. Woo, Dude Wipes. This is a. <laughs> I mean, this, this, this is fantastic news. Well, it, it, I mean, it is, Kieran. At the risk of uh, <laughs> alienating one of our most loyal sponsors, just. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm not shaving down there. I'm not. I can't see any circumstances in which I'm going to the shop and say, "You got any dude wipes?" You know, I've got some tissues. Yeah, that one. No, I want dude wipes. <laughs> yeah, well, th- these these appear to be um, the equivalent of you know baby wipes, but aimed at men, which presumably means that they're <laughs> a bit bigger. Um, and uh, I mean, to be to be fair, it, it's a it's, it's a shirt sleeve sponsorship uh, deal, which, which is a shame because you know if, if they had back of shorts sponsorship, then it would be the perfect logo for the perfect place. Um, but uh, I think it is showing innovation. And to be fair to both New York City and the sponsor, they have marketed it in in an appropriately self deprecating way. So um, uh, yeah, unusual. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll I'll stick to my. Uh, uh, my my uh, aloe vera waitrose best uh, toilet roll for the moment, but uh, uh, yeah, an, an unusual product. Uh, but 
but it must it must have you know a, a fair amount of sales because you know shirts these sponsorships aren't cheap yeah there's going to come a stage Kieran where one player at the start of a season is going to walk into the dressing room look at the shirt of the new sponsors and go ah no <laughs> I'm not I'm not wearing that I've really thought or will just find himself right at the back of the team photograph with his arms folded across the logo <laughs> um uh, thank you for listening today. Uh, if you'd like to make a small contribution to our always free to air pod, then please go to patreon.com slash price of football. And if you have a question for our regular Monday questions pod, it's questions at price of football.com. And in the meantime, I shall of course hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Uh, well, as always, folks, thank you for the engagement. A horrible word to use, of course. Um, thank you for keeping us on our toes with plenty of questions. Um, and, uh, and also to everybody that's supporting us on Patreon and other vehicles. If you um, if you want to come along and see us, remember twenty fourth of March. Uh, as you say, Kevin said we we are we've been really quite chuffed to bits to, at the level of sales today, but there are still a few left uh, for that particular uh, our debut gig, um, and uh, we might be giving some fan tokens out because it could also be our uh, <laughs> final gig for if, if, if things don't work out. Um, but if you if you want to support us in another way, if you want to give us some good karma, um, then uh, if you can hop along to your uh, app uh, on which you use your, uh, uh, your your in which you download your podcasts, um, and you give us a review, um, producer guy says that if you can give us five stars, it, it helps us as far as the charts are concerned. Um, and by all means, leave a review. Um, it doesn't matter what you say. You could, you could, you could, you could even say you'd rather the show was presented by Judy Souk and Bob Carrollges. Now, this this is my attempt to because produce guys trying to get us a live show on BBC Three, and this is this is my attempt to appeal to the kids because that's the particular demographic that listen to to, to BBC Three. Um, so, just to show you, I'm not, I'm not an old fogey. Yeah, to, uh, to all you young people out there googling those uh, two names, uh, Judy Zook starts with a T. Yes. Don't don't go looking for Z. It starts with, starts with Bob. <laughs> Imagine us having a BBC Three show. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>